Welcome to Ipsa Dixit, a podcast on legal scholarship. I'm your host, Brian L. Fry, Spears Gilbert Professor of Law at the University of Kentucky College of Law. My guest is Trent Elmore, a co-founder of JPEG, the new media curation protocol, among other things. So welcome to the show, Trent. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad to make the connection. Uh, I've been talking with a lot of people in the NFT space that you're kind of participating in. And I've realized that people are coming from all different kinds of places. So I wonder if we could start by having you just introduce yourself to listeners and, and say a little bit of something about, about your own background. Yeah, 100%. Um, I mean, I got into NFTs really kind of at, in January of, of this year. So kind of like right before things started to, to get really crazy. But I was originally an art history major in, in college. So I've kind of always had this real desire to work in, you know, the the cultural layer of, of society, you know, wanting to be a museum curator at one point before I figured out kind of all of the things that, that went into, into that. Um, but I love particularly working at this intersection of like the cultural layer and the economic layer of society. So after college, I went into advertising, um, thinking about the ways in which just like kind of mass visual culture end up, um, you know, expressing and reflecting and interacting with, uh, with our, our culture in various ways. Um, Kind of after a couple years of working in advertising, um, I teamed up with my brother Brock, who's a fantastic engineer, and we, at the beginning of uh, 2019, started to get into the world of decentralized finance, DeFi. Um, so that was right when you know compound lending protocol and DYDX trading and lending protocol um, were coming onto the scene, and there are all these kind of like crazy interest rate imbalances. And so we started to build a yield optimization protocol, um, similar to like a yearn a yearn finance um, kind of before yearn was was a thing. Um, so we worked on that for kind of most of 2019. Kind of at the end of that year, rates really started to compress. We uh, were looking at different ways that we could leverage some of the technology expertise that we had um, at the protocol level uh, into different avenues. And so we started getting into the MEV space, uh, minor extractable value, which is kind of like the high frequency trading of, of DeFi. Um, and so we were playing around in that space before it was uh, really a very big thing. Um, you know, probably about seven, eight months later, Flashbots uh, came out, which is kind of like MEV SaaS um, type type deal. And they got like a lot more professionalized. Um Kind of six months into doing some of the MEV stuff, uh, some friends, along with Brock and I, uh, had the idea for a little side project called Yam Finance, which is an algorithmic stablecoin that you know did this rebasing thing, building up this treasury, um, and so that ten-day side project uh, turned into kind of a six-month long in, endeavor for me. And the the Yam Finance community is still really strong, and they're doing a lot of interesting things. Um, but uh, I started to to scale back my time there as kind of this this NFT stuff started coming out. Um, it was again right around January when when Pack did the title um, drop, which was this really interesting drop in which all of the NFTs linked to a single IPFS link, um, but they were all priced in different ways and they had different edition sizes. Some were open edition, some were one of ones, some were like 
gifts and awards and um it was this whole very like uh eves klein uh epoch blue sort of sort of uh translated into the the nft space and it really just struck this this chord in me from my art historical days because that kind of neo-avant-garde was really some of the areas that i was most interested in 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 art history um as recognizing that oh my gosh there's there's really so much conceptual depth to some of this this nft space and there's so much to explore here whereas in 2020 so much of the nft stuff that was going on was like meme cards and and like these kind of like silly little internet pictures and i was like uh, there's just there's not quite enough meat there for me um but again started this year i i had this realization that there's actually just so much fascinating um exploration to be done in the space and so i started kind of digging into some of that started just having like so much fun in the nft space it was it was one of the first times in a long time that i was spending time on the internet for hours and hours just like you know hanging out in discord looking at different things like exploring like joking around um all around uh you know this art and this these these cultural objects um and so it, it opened my eyes to this thing and uh anytime you're having an experience like that it, it's indicative that man there's really something interesting going on here um and so started thinking about ways in which i could get involved in a in a bigger way looking at the the space um for kind of what was what was still needed and and what was missing um and one of the big things I realized after watching a, a documentary called uh, The Price of Everything, which is, um, I don't know if you've seen, but it's really fantastic kind of like documentary about the contemporary art market um, and kind of like the way art assets function and the way the taste making apparatus operates um, and just noticing that this kind of like system of taste making in the NFT space was really underdeveloped. It was oftentimes uh, directly mimicking the the traditional art market of like you know the auction houses and the big collectors being like what determines value and thinking about the ways in which a decentralized ecosystem should have a decentralized form of of taste making um, and so that was one of the kind of initial kernels of the idea for for JPEG which is really this this NFT curation protocol um, that I'm that I'm working on with uh, Maria Paula Fernandez and and Sam Spike. Tell me a little bit more about decentralized finance, sort of what that meant to you when you were working in that area and the extent to which it has informed the way you look at NFTs in the NFT market? Yeah, that's an excellent question. That was really kind of, you know, obviously my training in this, in this space. And the thing that brought me into that, that market and that ecosystem because I'm not a finance guy. Like there's a reason I switched to NFTs. Like I'm a culture, I'm a culture guy. Um, but I was so attracted to some of the principles and ideologies that were present in the, the DeFi ecosystem. Uh, these ideas of, you know, permissionlessness of trustlessness um, of, you know, kind of removing some of these intermediaries, like all of these, they're almost crypto platitudes at, at this point, but I think they're really, really important um, in terms of how we can enable more people to have access to uh, financial markets, um, having a technology that fundamentally reflects the way in which our world operates on a globalized level. Um, these, these things I think are just, are just really critical for 
what's next for, you know, society and economies. I mean, it's very clear, obviously, right now, right, that like, something about modern society is is not going right. Um, and I think crypto as in, in DeFi in particular, as kind of like this, this base economic layer through which then kind of culture rises up from is a really interesting way to like start rewriting some of the ways in which uh, societies actually operate at a fundamental level. Could you give some like specific examples of things you were working on that you think reflect some of those principles or sort of how you tried to kind of conceptualize the work you were doing in that space and in the NFT space in relation to those kinds of more open, more egalitarian kind of uh, principles? Yeah, I mean, at a, at a very fundamental level, these protocols as permissionless such that anyone can show up to the smart contract and start interacting um, is is emblematic of like what we're trying to to accomplish here that um, you know where you live who you are what a bank thinks your kind of worth is is irrelevant when you are interacting with the the blockchain um, which as a slight tangent, I think is one of the really interesting things we're seeing in the NFT space is this like resurgence of, of the anonymous. I think we oftentimes forget how anonymous the early internet was um, and the the degree to which um, through social media, it's just like our whole our whole perception of what it means to be kind of like online has has been warped. And there's so many gatekeepers that, that now exist, both at like the corporate and state level, right? Uh, so this this nature of the blockchain is this thing that anyone can show up to, I think is really radical and, and interesting for, for a number of ways. Um, I think like one of the things that, that we've seen in DeFi with, you know, airdrops and, you know, liquidity mining and kind of like all of these things that give, you know, ownership or governance rights control over the in, that infrastructure that everybody and anybody can use um, is really a very interesting fundamental rewriting of how we think about, uh, you know, ownership and participation in the stuff that, that we use, right? Um, you know, it, there's a very kind of Marxist libertarian strain to to what we see in in DeFi and crypto more generally. Um, you know, obviously the libertarian element gets a lot of attention, and like people look at it as like this very capitalistic thing. But there's an element to which the economic systems that are evolving here are like kind of post-capitalism, post-Marxist, post like all of this stuff. It's it's this weird thing that we don't quite know what to call it or what it is yet. Um, but I think it's really, it's really exciting in kind of how it's uh, reevaluating and, and restructuring some of those elements. So from the outside or from the perspective of someone who's sort of new to a lot of these organizational models, in some respects, they're kind of reminiscent of a kind of shareholder model where people become part owners of a project and then participate, arguably, to a greater or lesser degree in determining the future of the product. But it, but, but it seems like I'm, that misses something. And I, I wonder if, if you could talk a little bit about what you think that kind of perspective misses about what's new and unique about what's happening here. I think in a lot of ways, like it is, it is fairly accurate. I mean, shareholder 
is is potentially um, you know something we really feel uh, like associate with you know equity markets and things like that. Like I think there's really strong kind of co-op models that are being developed. Um, when we look at some of the things that are happening in the DAO space, I think uh, that's kind of one of the closest things that that you can come to um, a, a comparison on in terms of you know how these people are organizing and pooling capital, pooling resources. Um, you know, to, to again, get to kind of like this philosophical nature of, of how I think about these things. Um, I think one of the really interesting potentials of, of, uh, you know, this, this realm of decentralized finance is the way in which it allows people to kind of like push back against this economic atomization that has been happening in the last, you know, 15, 2000 years of history, right? Where we go from like these villages where like everybody's kind of like collectively trying to ensure the village, um, you know, remains prosperous. And then, you know, it goes to like the extended family and then the nuclear family. And now we're living in this world in which like individuals are put all over the globe with no connection to, um, you know, their, their blood or their family. And um, they're just these singular economic units. And like, that's fundamentally disempowering. I mean, like, there's a reason there's saying you gotta, you gotta have money to make money. Um, It's like the, the way in which when you can organize collectively at an economic level, like your, your power just increases in the, in the world. Um, and so I think that's one of the kind of like interesting elements of, of some of the DAO and um, related things that are happening in the, in the uh, DeFi and, and really now like larger web three ecosystem, um, which is in itself a very interesting rebrand that, that has been occurring from, from crypto to web three. So you have some experience in the more traditional art world. To what extent, in your opinion, is the sort of NFT market similar to or different from more traditional art markets? And sort of how would you characterize the similarities or differences? You know, it's it's an interesting question because I've never been around the art world at a time in which a major shift in you know, form or taste was was occurring, right? Like, what would it have been like to be around when, you know, in like the the nineteen teens when when Dada was was forming, like these outsider artists, like kind of doing their own weird thing outside of the the establishment. Um, I imagine it actually kind of feels similar to to some of that, um, but. Uh, in general, I think um, we've seen a lot of kind of uh, change in heart over the course of this year from the traditional art world in which in the beginning people were like, oh, there are these like stupid JPEGs. Oh, it's crypto. Like, oh, we we don't like any of, of that stuff. Um, I think there's been a real recognition that um, like, okay, there is something really interesting here, if only because holy cow, look at how much of our lives we live online and how much of culture is digital. Uh, The digital art market has been like marginalized for so, so long. Finally, there is a way to kind of tap into that element of, of culture that has a really important commentary to, to be made on, on society. Right. Um, 
and that's not to you know like discredit the degree to which um, digital artists and net artists have been really pursuing and um, you know investigating these these questions over the years. I think there's just a very real shift that's happening now that people can really own those things, right? Like at a fundamental level, like uh, the art market is a is a market. I mean, there's there's been a lexicon shift over the past, you know, several years, maybe decade or two. I'm not quite, you know, old enough to know exactly when this this shift happened, but from like the art world to the art market. Um, and so it's no surprise that as sales have continued to be really strong, that that acceptance has continued to to increase. Um, I mean, you look at, you know, Sotheby's and, and Christie's doing all these auctions. It's like, well, they've been trying to, to get at this kind of like new tech money for years and have had a really hard time doing so. Um, and all of a sudden NFTs come along. It's this um, kind of status symbol that all of a sudden the the tech the tech nerds with all all this you know tech money find really really compelling in a way that previously i think for like the status symbol for a lot of those tech elites was like oh what like angel investments are you in like what deals what deals are you getting access to and like that's where they wanted to put their money um now nfts offer kind of the same potential upside is like that angel investment. Um, they offer a greater amount of kind of like displayable social clout. And so they've been really, really attracted to the the kind of NFT NFT market. And kind of kudos to Sotheby's and Christie's for recognizing that that potential and tapping into it early. I mean like good good read by by those folks over there. Yeah, well, I've certainly noticed that it seems like the auction houses were surprisingly early to recognize the potential of NFTs and the NFT market more broadly. And it seems like a certain subset of artists, like you say, have also kind of seen that and really seized an opportunity. There are a lot of digital artists and video artists who've been around for a long time, in my experience. It seems like there's also a fair amount of resistance from a lot of artists in kind of more traditional art spaces. Where do you think that's coming from? It's a really good point. I think, you know, one of the, one of the interesting things that that I think we are seeing, and I've got kind of two unrelated things to to mention is that um, it's been really cool to see how like this bifurcation of like the crypto native versus the, the, Oh, I'm going to apply my existing practice to uh, NFTs or maybe even just like digitally native um, to, to crypto, like really seamless. And like people can make like a really big name for themselves as like a crypto artist in that sense. Whereas those more establishment artists that already have gallery representation that already like um, are in the, in the cool club of, fine artists um i think i've had a little bit more trouble getting like um the same kind of astronomical levels of of success i think some of them are are still doing quite quite well and really interesting work um but uh there's something going on right now about like we want the new people um which i think is just really interesting i think one of the which probably impacts you know how much a traditional, you know, 
establishment artist is willing to go kind of into into NFTs. Um, I think when you one of the other interesting things though is like when we talk about NFTs, it's like this really vast realm of things. Like it's a pretty blank canvas technology. So you have the art, you have the collectibles, you've got the game assets, you have like the loyalty reward experiences, you have information and content. It's just like so, so much and so vast. Um, and we've seen that there are applications of this technology for a really wide range of, of creators, um, whether that's artists, whether that's streamers, whether that's um, musicians. Um, and so many of the people that would really benefit from this technology are afraid to jump in because of how vitriolic a lot of the world and especially the online world is to this technology. Um, you know, it's, you know, destroying the rainforests. It's all a big scam. Um, you know, it's, it's just a link to a JPEG. You don't actually own anything. Um, like it's all vaporware technology. Um, there are all these kind of like pushbacks that, that are pretty much, you know, I'll be the first to say there are things in the NFT space that, you know, we need to, to improve on and there's infrastructure that needs to get built and all these things. But so many of the arguments like lack rationality or basic knowledge about how these things actually function. And it's this really kind of like pure rage. I, I, I am constantly taken aback by how angry some of these, these people are. Um, and it's really discouraging because I think so many of the, the values that those people actually stand for that are, that are casting that, that kind of hate on this, like we're actually not very differently oriented when it comes to ideology and values and the things that we're trying to do and enable for people. Um, but it does create for any creator that is thinking about getting into NFTs, this, this really kind of um, big obstacle of, holy cow, if I go do this thing, like half of my audience is, is going to, you know, immediately stop, you know, funding my Patreon. They're going to, they're going to abuse me on, on Twitter. They're going to like just straight up cyber bully me now. Um, and so it's, it's really sad to, to see, but I understand why a lot of creators are like, that's not a risk that, that I want to, to take. Yeah. I mean, I, I wonder like, I mean, cause, cause I've seen that kind of vitriol as well. And it seems disproportionate to the concerns that are being articulated, some of which I think are not necessarily entirely wrong, uh, although I'm not sure that I think they're always fully thought through. But why the vitriol? Like that That's the part that I find really hard to understand. I do as well. Um, it's, it's, I find it, um, you know, I mean, I, I literally just posted a, a tweet this morning of, of um, you know, commenting on some of this stuff. And, um, you know, I used to, you know, a few months ago, because now it's been going on all year, like this kind of, this kind of rage that, that occurs. Um, and I used to like read it and think it's kind of funny, but like, it's starting to get not funny anymore. Um, and it's, it's uh, discouraging in how it's stopping people who would, um, you know, really benefit from, you know, the community generation and activation that it, that it allows, the way in which it can allow 
creators to generate revenue streams that are not going through a, you know, centralized party that's taking, you know, 15% of their, of their, um, you know, revenue, like, uh, there's a number of ways in which this, this could be really advantageous for people. Um, but there is some thing that has made people just unbelievably angry about this thing. You're so right that it's disproportionate. I, I don't, I don't get it. Um, but it, but it makes me sad. So you talked about lots of different potential or existing applications for NFTs. And I've noticed that too. And it really makes me wonder, do you think it's right to talk about an NFT market or should we be talking about NFT markets or maybe should we be talking about NFTs or conceptualizing NFTs more as kind of like a tool that could be used for lots of different things, some of which are markets and some of the, some of which might be something totally different? It's interesting because there's a reason in kind of his like traditional cultural industries, we've got like, you know, the movie industry, we've got the music industry, we've got like, we, we do segment these kind of cultural things into, into buckets. Right. Um, right now, part of the, you know, the NFT market is just that it's not big enough to, to create those segments. I think one of the other interesting elements though, of it is that the lines are really blurred. Like where is that line between art and gaming between art and collectibles between you know music nfts that have a visual component like uh the the lines are not entirely clear and one thing that is showing is that like okay the lines were never actually that clear we kind of made them arbitrary already like you look at the gaming industry like some of the video games that that come out are incredible aesthetic masterpieces, incredible storytelling masterpieces, um, but they're, you know, relegated to, to games and lowbrow for, for some reason, but there, there's no reason kind of uh, uh, from a theoretical standpoint in my mind that these should be like in different artistic realms, um, or at least that, that we should be giving them um labels or hierarchies on level of artness to them. Um, so I don't know how that's going to kind of play out over time. Like I think eventually like there will be enough NFT stuff out there that, that some segmentation starts to starts to occur in ways that feel more or less appropriate. Um, I also, you know, just hate this this term nft like i think it's um i think it's such a um a, a bad branding um it's got enough kind of and there have been you know at various points efforts to try and rebrand them but the name has has stuck for for better or worse um it it does remind me of the, something i referenced earlier which is like this shift in lexicon that we've seen from crypto to web3 um that, uh, you know, a couple of people yesterday commented that, you know, that shift has really allowed for people who were anti-crypto to, or not exactly anti-crypto, but like maybe lukewarm on crypto to all of a sudden, like, uh, or crypto skeptical come into 
web three and do it with grace and like not have all that association of like silk road and like and bitcoin but it's like no web three it's this new sexy business opportunity that like uh it's the new wave of the future um and so i think i think that's a really interesting shift that's occurred and i do wonder if uh a similar thing will eventually happen with nfts because nft is fundamentally like a technical term, right? Non-fungible token. Um, like it does not in any way express a kind of like cultural significance or it doesn't describe kind of what the, um, yeah, again, cultural significance of that thing is. And there are like, uh, you know, there are financial NFTs. Like when you do a Uniswap uh, liquidity provider, position like you get an nft in return for that um which i think we can clearly say is like a fairly separate thing from uh you know the the crypto art and collectibles sort of thing so i wonder if eventually there's there's going to be some kind of designation at least um you know that starts to call out the degree to which um there's something kind of more cultural going on here and it's not just like this this purely blank technical kind of term that, that we're using. Could you talk about the JPEG product project, sort of what got you interested in it, sort of what you see as contributing to the space and how you hope, hope people use it? Yeah, 100%. Um, so JPEG is a curation protocol. So um, we have a number of kind of interesting changes happening in the in the near future as we've kind of been um, doing some test exhibitions with like alpha curators um, over the past couple months. Um, but the way the, the protocol functions right now is that it's a essentially a registry, it's a list, um, and users can come on and upload NFT token data to a sub-registry, kind of sub-list, and that functions as a curated exhibition um and so over time these exhibitions stack on top of one another and we can start to map this network of curators and the things the nfts that they've curated and start to look at all of those different relationships such that um we can look at kind of the social and interest graph that emerges how are curators related to each other how are nfts related to each other how can we build on-chain reputation systems for those curators that kind of quantify and measure, um, you know, who liked something before it was cool. Um, you know, we can actually identify on chain who's doing really important curatorial work based on, you know, the time series of the the curation. And, um, and we can also obviously look at, you know, the NFTs themselves in terms of like, okay, how culturally significant and socially significant does it seem like this NFT is based on who's curating it, how many people are curating it, kind of all of these, all of these things. Um, so moving some of the cultural infrastructure from in the traditional world, you know, is this artist represented by like Pace, Gagosian, Zwerner, and was it in a MoMA show and like all of these like kind of low frequency but high signal data points to a system that is much more decentralized. Anybody has the ability to come in and start participating in that kind of cultural meaning making uh, apparatus. Um, so that's, that's kind of the direction that, that we're going. Um, it's kind of really formed around, obviously this, again, this basis of, you know, decentralizing that, that apparatus. Uh, but I think 
the need for cultural infrastructure is really strong in this space as we look at, um, you know, how all of the things, all the NFTs that are getting created today, how they maintain value in the the long term, right? Like right now, um, these things are foregrounded as financial assets so often, but they're fundamentally cultural and social objects. And you see that reflected in the degree to which how many people you see on Twitter with that, you know, profile picture avatar is kind of like how you start to get a sense of, uh, you know, how valuable a project is. New profile picture projects like pre-drop or like listing in their Twitter bio, like how many Discord members they have. There are all these proxies for the social and cultural value that that people are using to um, kind of evaluate these these projects. But all those things are so ephemeral, right? They're on Twitter, they're on Discord, like they're not uh, in any way um, like long lasting markers that, that we can use. And so also looking at some of the, you know, archeology span stuff, and I know you've, you've talked about this on the, the podcast before, but things like, um, you know, ether rocks and IKB that have these like seven figure valuations simply because of being minted in 2017. It's like, it's that provenance that gives them their, their value. Um, the things being minted today needs some, elements of provenance that that will allow them to kind of continue to maintain that that value over the long term such that people can go oh yeah this thing back then was uh like this really hot object and so it's going to be able to kind of continue to perpetuate that that hotness um in a in a way that is really important for this market to figure out or we're going to be in this constant cycle of uh you know new drop pump, dump, new drop, pump, dump. Uh, and, you know, every one or two things maybe has staying power for, you know, a year, two years, three years, who knows what it is. Um, but then what happens when like the aesthetic falls out of style, you know, um, like there, there are just so many moving parts to, to that sort of thing. We need a way to, in the long term, really chronicle the significance of, of these, these objects. Yeah, it seems like some of these early projects have acquired value or the perception of, of value primarily or significantly on the basis of, of scarcity. There just weren't that many of them in the first place. Uh, based on what you've seen so far and sort of your own impressions of what the market is doing and it's what people seem to be responding to, um, you know, as the supply begins to grow, that kind of natural scarcity is not going to be like available anymore. What kind of features do you see people responding to? What do you think the market is looking for to the extent you can tell? And sort of what's your sense of what's meaningful now and going forward to people who are thinking about sort of finding the things that are speaking to whatever aesthetic concerns or, or interests the community is kind of currently looking to, to latch on to. Yeah, I think the, the scarcity narrative has really fallen away already, in, in my opinion. I mean, especially when you look at like some of the, the one of ones, like the one of one market has um, struggles a lot of the times for a lot of artists, like a lot of times because there's not enough of a community to generate and sustain interest. So creators and artists in this space right now have to do this really delicate balance of like, 
the the scarcity in in air quotes and like the the community generation and like what what is that right balance it it really varies um it's a a nebulous thing that uh individual has to feel out um uh as far as kind of like what are those things that people are um kind of looking towards again i think primarily it's like it's the social the social validation um it's who do you know whose opinion that you respect has has also gotten this this thing and then how much do they hype it up and you know market the thing as something that other people should also want to want to participate in um and so we've already seen this this really massive shift to um kind of the social and cultural uh criteria for a project um ever being interesting um and so uh it it gets to this interesting element to which um, I think one of the exciting things about NFTs is, I mean, we've put culture and we've put social networks on the the blockchain, uh, which feels like this really important step towards really decentralized social networks. Um, you know, uh, this has been a dream of, you know, kind of crypto um, for a long time. The idea of like, you can own your data, you can own your identity and you can kind of like go from social network to social network and like carry that, that data um, and reputation with you. And we've kind of backdoored that, that process with NFTs in a really, really interesting way. Uh, I mean, you see it in, uh, kind of like NFT NYC stuff where like so much of this stuff is um, like token gated events and parties. And then like you go in there and you're talking with other people that, that have these um, uh, same little digital assets as, as you and, you know, discord, it's like, you can't get into this discord unless you have, you know, this number of social tokens or, you know, this NFT and like you get into special rooms if you, uh, if you have those and, um, so uh, I, I think that's a huge part of why um, some of the social elements are, are becoming so much more important because like fundamentally the social is the thing that's, that's going on right now, um, especially in some of like the profile picture type stuff. Um, I think uh, one of the, when it comes to more of the crypto art side of things, um, there's much less of that. It's much more like, you know, what are the interesting conceptual things going on? And I guess I should actually even make a demarcation between like the generative art stuff and the more conceptual art stuff. Um, uh, I think um, the generative art, again, does have like very much this like, uh, especially around art blocks, like social kind of network thing going around, um, which I think is actually really interesting and tough for a lot of generative artists who are, you know, producing their own collections elsewhere. They're minting them on their own contracts and selling them on OpenSea. And like, there's this whole realm of artists who, again, maybe can't get into super rare or can't get into to art blacks because there's just not enough room. Everybody's trying to get in there. Um, and there's no way for them to kind of like rise to, to prop prominence um and kind of get the attention that that they deserve uh, which is again one of these areas where curation starts to become a really important kind of 
component within the the industry? How do we take some of the power away from, again, these are essentially the auction houses, the super rares, the makers place, the, the arc locks. And how do we instead allow for a community to elevate um, who they think should should be paid attention to based on the, the work that they're they're producing? So Trent, in in closing, this market is really new, but it's already changed a lot very quickly. And you've been observing it pretty closely for for a while now. Based on what you've seen so far, do you have any thoughts about like what might be coming like next in the short term? Like, are there things you're excited about uh, in particular? Changes that you're anticipating? Sort of, what what do you see coming down the pike? I think there are kind of a number of uh, infrastructural things that that we'll see changing soon in terms of like particularly things like artists minting on their own contracts um obviously things like jpeg and things like super rare spaces of like these kind of curation initiatives in which again um individuals are able to promote artists who who are creating really interesting and, and meaningful work outside of these these auction houses i think that's um super interesting uh i think um on a longer term basis, again, this idea of like the the decentralized social network is is going to be really is going to be really powerful for you know the space and the world. Um, but on a larger level, like uh, I don't think anybody really understands what's what's going on here in a comprehensive way. Um, someone the other day uh, was was saying it was very much like the um, the kind of like blind man and the elephant problem of um, this shift to being able to own a thing online being so vast and encompassing so many different uh, you know verticals of again this you know the music the the film the um, you know the information uh, that the way in which it's going to impact the world you know socially sociologically culturally politically economically like we just cannot predict what this technological shift we're experiencing right now the implications that it's going to have in in five years um i think it things get rewritten in a major way and anyone who thinks that they know what that rewriting is going to look like i think uh is absolutely trying to trying to sell you something and and i would be very skeptical about (laughs) about buying it um but incredibly exciting thing to to be a part of and and to witness and you know um it's not going to stop me from trying to figure out what the answer to those questions are um but you know stay very open open-minded and uh and thinking critically about you know how do we avoid those same mistakes that happened at the advent of social media in which people thought oh my gosh we're going to be so connected this is going to be so wonderful and it's uh yeah it didn't turn out super super hot um so uh yeah trying to build in a way that is that is mindful and and intentional and uh ultimately makes the the world a, a better more equitable um space Awesome. Well, Trent, thanks so much for coming on the show and talking about your experiences and what you're seeing. Uh, I really appreciate it. And uh, I really appreciate your, your perspective as well.
Yeah, thanks so much, Brian. And I, I do have to say, I love the name of this of this podcast. It's very fun. Shout this magic word, Winko, Winko, Winko. Sister, brother, and dad and mother, kids that you and I know, they say it's swell, they love to yell, Winko, Winko, Winko. Don't complain each time it rains, you can make the rain go. With black, green, red, and yellow crayons, you can draw a rainbow. Magic crayons make magic pictures on a magic window. Let's draw and shout this magic word. Winko, winko, winko. You can have a pony and a parakeet. You can have a doggy and a drum to beat. You can have a mama dog. And a little toy train. You can have a pussy cat and your own jet plane. You can have all the things you miss if you'll just remember this. Magic crayons make magic pictures on a magic window. When you shout this magic word, Winko, Winko, Winko. Sister, brother, and dad, and mother, kids that you and I know, they say it's swell, they love to yell, Winko, Winko, Winko! Don't complain each time it rains, you can make the rain go. With black, green, red, and yellow crayons, you can draw a rainbow. Magic crayons make magic pictures on a magic window. Let's draw and shout this magic word. Winko, Winko, Winko! Winko!